0: Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Hi everyone, my name is Nick. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for being here. Um, it's such a privilege to gather with you. Um, I'm going to pray and then we're going to continue our series in Colossians. Father, we, uh, we are an unashamedly needy people. Uh, we are reminded daily that uh, we cannot do this um, on our own. And for us as Christ followers, um, that isn't something that we wanna hide. Because the goodness and kindness of who you are means that we don't have to do this in our own strength and on our own. And your spirit is within us as Neil has prayed. And your spirit is um, is with us now as we gather together. Um, I want to thank you that it is your Holy Spirit that takes the truth of the Word of God and um, enlivens that in our soul. And that's what I pray for this evening. Uh, I want to pray for your kindness. I want to pray for your power. I want to pray that you would anoint me and my lips and my mind. But I also want to pray that you would anoint our hearts to be able to receive this message um, we ask this in your name and for your glory. When Lisa was talking about uh, Lord, which is actually how you pronounce it, Lisa, I'm just saying, um, L-A-U-D, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I love that word um, because it does mean, um, obviously it means what she said. She wasn't lying, but, um, but I just love that word um, because when we Lord God, there is a sense in which we unashamedly are telling Him and everyone around us and every spiritual force and power um, that our trust and our hope is in Him. So we are continuing in our Colossians series. And last week, Sean did an amazing job, and he looked at uh, chapter 2, the beginning part of chapter 2. Um, and in the beginning part of chapter 2, one of the things that he spoke about was that the written code of our debt, of our sinful debt, was wiped away. Now, Martin Luther, and many of you may know who Martin Luther is, but for those of you who don't know, October 31st is actually Reformation Day. Um, it also happens to be Halloween, but it's actually Reformation Day, which is when Martin Luther took his thesis and he nailed it on the Wittenberg door. And Basically, what he was reminding the church then is that it is by grace and faith alone that we have been saved. It is by trusting and believing in the sacrifice of Jesus. That and that alone is what saves us. Anyway, Martin Luther had this um, very difficult, he was a, a depressive guy, and he really struggled a lot with shame and guilt. And one day, as he puts it in, in one of his books, he was visited um, by Satan, and Satan gave him this scroll. And he opened the scroll and written in his own, in Martin Luther's own handwritings, with every single thing that he had done wrong every sin that he had committed, every impure thought he had ever had, everything was written down on there. Um, And all the devil did was say to him, is this true? And Martin Luther said, yes, this is true. Is this true? Yes, this is true. And he was starting to get depressed and full of shame and guilt. Um, And as he tells the story, as as the devil got up to leave his job being done in terms of shame and guilt... He turns to him and he said, all of this is true, but right across there now, the blood of Jesus has cleansed me from all this sin. And he disappeared. And last week, um, Sean told us about what Jesus had done, which is um, absolutely blotting the debt that had been written against us, that he, Jesus Christ, had disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regards to festival, new moon, or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And we know that the victory was an all-encompassing victory. What Paul was talking about was in those days when a general uh, had won a great victory, what he would do is he would parade uh, the army that had lost... And he would parade them through the city and people would throw rotten vegetables at them. And the general was either naked or he was dressed in a black robe. He was disarmed, humiliated. And this is what Paul is saying, what Jesus has done to the accuser of our souls. He has completely disarmed and humiliated him. And so Paul tells the Colossian church, I don't want anyone to pass judgment on you. And there's two words that we're going to talk about tonight. The one is judgment, the other one is disqualification. Last week, um, Sean did a great job talking about judgment. This week, we're going to look at disqualification, and we're going to look at Colossians 2, verse 18 to 23. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. Referring to the things that all perish as they used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and ascetism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." So last week, we spoke about how Paul talks about judgment. Uh, Now, these two words are interesting because they're used in the sports category. Judgment, if you can think of it, is like in gymnastics. When someone does something and then the judges hold up the score and they're, well, they don't hold it up anymore. If you're old enough, they held it up. Now they just uh, kind of put it into the computer and they say, so whatever you did, we judge you and we find that you did it this well. So Paul is talking about two things that are happening within the context of the church. There are people that are judging your Christian performance and then there are people that are disqualifying you. And disqualification is this shift in language where he says, now, there are some things where people are saying you're not a good enough Christian, but there's another way in people are saying, actually, you can't be part of us unless you do these things. You are disqualified, exempted, uh, excluded. Every game we play has rules, and if you don't compete according to the rules, you're disqualified, some rules are there, and they are legitimate, and they're a, they're, they're a good reason for, for rules being there. But some of them are pretty silly. Now, being, um, being from having spent a lot of my time in South Africa, I've watched a lot of rugby. And rugby has a thing called a sin bin. And a sin bin is when you do something wrong, which is against the rules, which is punch someone in the face so that you knock them out. We can carry on. Um, yeah, right? I love that picture. And then come through with the elbow and hit him in the face. Now, okay, does anyone think he should not be disqualified? No. No. He should. He should the correct answer is he should be disqualified, right? And when he gets disqualified, he goes to the sin bin. And he sits on that tiny little chair, and you get, you get 10 minutes in the sin bin. I can't even pronounce the Samoan man's name. Um, but you sit there, and then 10 minutes later, you're, you're able to go back in. You know? He's been disqualified for a while. Now, Now, who would agree that that's a legitimate reason to be disqualified, right? What about this? In hockey, you have the penalty box, which is the same kind of thing. This guy is excluded because his shirt is tucked in. Is that a legitimate reason to be disqualified? No, right? In fact, they're arguing about this with the NHL. And I know only one of you really cares or even knows what I'm talking about. But the point is this. There are legitimate reasons to be disqualified and non-legitimate reasons. And Paul is talking to the Colossian church. And he's saying that people are adding to the rules of what it means to be a Christ follower. And when you play a game at my house, there are house rules. Okay, and yeah, em- everyone, says, and, and, and everyone starts to mumble and grumble and moan. But these rules are made because it makes the game better. Okay. This is it, it, the rules are not there in order to give me a competitive advantage. That's not why the rules are there. <laughs> okay, whether you believe that or not. Let me say this, though. Um, some of the leaders of the Colossian church weren't trying to exclude and disqualify people. They literally believed that if you did these things, uh, that it was better for your faith. If you ate certain foods, if you attended certain festivals, if you had certain physical characteristics, like if you were a man, if you were circumcised, then you would reach a higher level of spirituality. Uh, but Jesus taught against that in terms of the Sabbaths. Paul and Peter talk about what it means to not be disqualified by the fact that you're not circumcised or not be disqualified by the fact that you don't eat certain foods. So what were some of the house rules that were going on in the Colossian church? Well, verse 18 says that no one disqualify you insisting on ascetism. asceticism, yes, there we go, I got it, Alison taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, going on in details about vision and being puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So the first thing is this phrase, which is translated delighting in false humility. And so today that word ascetism means the harsh treatment of the body for the purpose of spiritual insight, so what we do is we treat our body harshly for the purpose of spiritual insight. And in those days, what the guys believed was that any kind of physical thing was bad. Um, so your body was bad. Food was bad. Sex was bad. Possessions were bad. And the, re- the way to reach a higher level of spirituality was to deny any of those things and to separate from your flesh. Later on, we'll talk about why they had a problem with Jesus because um, one of the things that is core to our understanding of who Jesus is is that he came in the flesh. And if you believe that flesh was evil, then how could Jesus come in the flesh? And so the Colossians believe, well, Jesus just must have been some kind of apparition or angel. By severe treatment of the body, what the person would do would reach some kind of ecstatic vision or a trance, think peyote here, and enters a realm that is exclusive spiritual and unable to be tested. The other thing is that having these visions is proof that I'm better than you. It means that I've reached a higher level of spirituality. And therefore, the irony of delighting in humility. How do you delight in humility? It's, it's impossible. The thing is, though, that God calls all these things good. Now, food is good. Sex is good. There's nothing wrong with having possessions. But, but the idea that we make these things idle... Or idols is what the difficulty is. And Paul isn't saying that we need to indulge our flesh. But he's saying that everything these guys are telling you to do does not work. At the end of the thing, he says they, they have no power in curbing your fleshly desires. And so next week when Chris preaches, he's going to teach us exactly how that works. Right, Chris? That's what's going to happen next week. Next week, what Paul goes in is he says, because Jesus has done all of this, and because these guys are asking you to add these things, let me, let me show you what life in Christ actually looks like. But what about today? I mean, none of us are wanting to get into trances. None of us are, are desiring to kind of separate our bodies. By and large, today, the body's not seen as evil. In fact, um, there's a lot, there's a billion-dollar industry in terms of taking care of our bodies, But also, these days, we do tend to separate our spirits from our bodies. One of the ways is our sexual ethic. It's the idea that it really doesn't matter what I do with my body um, because it's not intrinsically part of me. And so this idea of promiscuity is actually a very Gnostic idea of separating yourself from your body. I would submit today that false humility or the spirit of this age is this idea that I cannot or should not make any absolute statements or claim any sense of truth about the nature of God, life, sin, relationships, sex, our bodies, because ultimately nobody knows what is right and true. And if you claim that you know what what is right and what is true, then you are arrogant and proud. That there is some kind of special knowledge that only I have. And I have the special knowledge because of my education or my race or my gender, which means that you don't have this knowledge. Now, it doesn't come from an angel, but it makes me superior. The fact that you haven't experienced what I experience means you couldn't possibly understand, and therefore you are disqualified. You do not have a perspective. I do not venture to discuss or question with you because you haven't shared my experience, and therefore you are disqualified or, in today's language, cancelled. The reality is that a lot of what Jesus did was challenge, provoke, question. But the thing that he did is he not only challenged, provoked, and questioned, he showed us the way in which to achieve what he did. A long time ago I said this, that Jesus raised the bar of holiness jumped over the bar of holiness, came around, through us over the bar of holiness. And so everything we have is because of him. How we treat our bodies, our money, his creation, each other, that is the mark of true humility and spirituality, not whether we see any of these kinds of visions. What about the worship of angels and the focus On visions. Remember a couple of weeks ago when I said the Colossian church had this idea that there were kind of hierarchies of angels? And so it didn't really matter if you'd seen an angel. It was like, well, what kind of angel did you see? And they would go into detail about these kinds of things. It was very mystical and progressive. They progressed in um, these levels. They claimed a certain spiritual reality that was of their own design, and therefore it could not be tested. Um, much like the false humility that we encounter today you can 't test it you can 't challenge it in the context of the the world, the idea of worship of angels or the focus on visions could be something like this, this idea of buffet spirituality now i don 't know if we 're ever going to see buffets again you know i 'm I'm, I'm seriously not very sad about whether we do or not, but but we have this thing about whether it 's your burrito or whether it 's your burger, you get to choose what goes onto your burger. It is your choice. I remember being at Umami Burger uh, with Chris for his birthday one day, and I said to whoever, uh, the server, um, they said, oh, I said, does does the burger come with tomato? And they said, no, the burger doesn't come with tomato. And I said, well, can can you give me some tomato on the side? No, the burger doesn't come with tomato. I'm like, what do you mean the burger doesn't come with tomato? I want it with tomato. It's like, no, our chef is like, I said, well, do you have a tomato in the back? And she says, I don't know. And like, you don't know if you have a tomato in the back? I'm like, well, just slice a a tomato for me and just bring it with my burger. Anyway, she didn't. What I did, though, was there was a farmer's market. I went and bought a tomato and brought it back so I could have tomato with my burger, right? Right. Happy birthday to Chris, right? (laughs) We want what we want. And part of... Part of me telling that story is it isn't just in the burger bar or the Chipotle bar, it's in our spirituality. We decide how much of what we want when we want it. Um, the challenge is, is that God has revealed not only who he is, but the path to perfect peace with him, and it's revealed in his word. And part of, part of the challenge is that in the context of the world, you'll hear things like this. The God that I know wouldn't or the God that I know would. And so there's this idea that we are fashioning this kind of mystical, progressive, ethereal idea based on what we like and who we are. In the church, it's similar but different because the buffet is actually there, but it's limited. It's, it's just a little smaller. So you can't choose of any kind of food, um, but it's limited. But in the context of whether this is true in your life, Think about this statement, I feel like God wants me to do this or not do this. How many times have you heard someone say that when they really don't want to do something or it's not in their best interests to do that? Usually, when I hear that, it's like, I believe the Lord wants me to do this. It usually is working out better for them. I've very seldom heard something like, I believe the Lord wants me to stay in this job for this moment, under this tyrannical boss, because he's teaching me something. I have heard it. It's very seldom that I hear that. The challenge is, if we question this individualistic approach, uh, either with with biblical wisdom or with the idea of community impact, like how this impacts your community, there's two general responses. The one is one of pride and arrogance. Who are you to tell me what to do? Or the other one is this wounded, falsely, false humility. This like falsely humble, I can't, I can't, I can't believe you would talk to me like that. I can't believe you don't want me to be happy. Seriously? Seriously? <laughs> For those of you who don't know what happened, at the YMCA was wooden floors, and and, uh, these hydroflasks would get knocked over often, every Sunday. So thank you for the reminder that we're not at our home. Now let me say this, visions are not wrong or demonic. But equally, the paranormal and supernatural is not automatically good. We've spoken about this before. any kind of supernatural thing either comes from God, the devil, or your flesh. And so the Bible says, test everything. Uh, we don't deny prophecy. We don't deny visions or dreams. We, we, uh, we see a New Testament where people have been led by that. Joseph, Mary, the wise men, Peter, Paul. Um, all of these people have had either visions or dreams or an, an, an angelic visitations. The Bible and church history is littered with men and women that have received these visions. These visions. Now, the interesting thing is, once um, they had received these visions, there wasn't just an isolated sense of what should happen. And when Paul received a vision of a Macedonian man saying, come and help us, um, the next verse in Acts is, and we determined that the vision meant that we should do this. Now, there was a communal sense in which, what this vision means. And so I'm not talking about, no, let's just exclude any of that. One of the challenges we have is that it's not wrong to desire the tangible, authentic spiritual experience that includes visions and dreams and prophecies. But God's Word clearly teaches this, that it is our pursuit of Jesus and our worship of Jesus and the continuation of desiring to do His will and to love His people um, and to be on mission in the world that enables us to be open to these kinds of things. I seek Jesus first, not this kind of dream or angelic visitation. The Gnostics weren't pursuing visions to make them more effective missionally or to encourage the church for direction. They were pursuing them to make them feel more superior and to disqualify the rest of the church. What do these things lead to? If I play by these house rules, what what happens to me? Why? I get full of pride, disconnection, and fleshliness. Uh, Paul says that you are puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head. I love this idea of puffed up. It's like a balloon. Have you ever tried to build anything with a balloon? You can't build anything with a balloon. Paul says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Think of the stability of a brick versus a balloon. And when I lay a brick of truth on the foundation, that is Jesus Christ. Power and security does not come from independent experience, but it comes from connection. Paul says in verse 19, These people are not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints, ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. We feel disconnected. The overarching rule here continually throughout the whole New Testament, but in Colossians, is this. It doesn't matter what you experience. The true test of your spirituality is whether you are connected to the head. And before you say, amen, that's true, you cannot be connected to the head unless you're connected to the body. Otherwise, you'd look like this. We are all part... Of the body, right? There's something very odd about this picture. It's missing other parts of the body. You cannot be connected. If you're a foot, you cannot just be connected to the head. If you're a hand, you cannot just be connected to the hip. There is a way in which God has put this together. This is unnatural. It's unhelpful. It's a mutation. In order for you to be useful, engaged, productive, and healthy, You need to have a vertical and a horizontal connection. You need to look more like this. Okay, we don't have the whole picture for obvious reasons. but um, (laughs) The only way you can grow is through connection. This is what Paul says. This is what the New Testament God's Word says. With other ligaments and joints, you remain immature. You cannot grow. And so this idea of like, I'm just going to develop this me and Jesus relationship. And so I'm going to look like this mutation. And Paul is saying is no, if you want power, if you want freedom, that comes through connection. Connection comes by being connected to the head and you cannot be connected to the head unless you're connected to the body. The only way you can grow is through connection. Freedom is found in connection. For the Jews... Jesus was this super smart prophet or teacher. For the Gnostics, he was some kind of angelic apparition. No, Paul reminds us of this consistently. Jesus is the head, the first, the one from whom all things flow, the seat of authority. He holds all things together. He's not some addendum to your life or something you add as an amalgam to your spirituality. Besides, Paul says, none of this actually helps you deal with some of your deep problems. Verse 23, these things have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism. I got it. There we go. Um, And severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Two weeks ago, I preached and I said that connection to the head is what is gonna make you um, not be deceived. It prevents deception. And today, I'm saying connection to the head, Paul's saying prevents indulgence of the flesh. Our ability to deny our own unhealthy bodily desires comes directly from our ability to stay connected to Jesus through his body, the church. Hyper mysticism, false humility, Legalism. This only cages the beast, and this is what Paul was saying. There's there's a sense in which something is is it's, it could be right, it could be happening, but you're only caging that animal. Have you seen a caged animal? It just becomes a little more intense. What Paul is saying, in next week in chapter three, Jesus didn't come just to cage this animal. Jesus came to kill. the the old man inside you, and to give you new life. And so when he says, put off the old and put on the new, this is exactly what he's talking about. So ultimately, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Why do we submit to these rules? Why do we play according to these house rules? Well, because we are constantly being told that this is the way the game is played. And like I said in the beginning, there are some things that do disqualify you. In reality, this is one of the things that you cannot believe if you're a Christ follower. There are not many ways to to the Father. There's only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Only people that accept the fact that he has died a death that was necessary because the penalty of our sin was death can enter into eternity with God. That's one of those things that if you punch someone, you get disqualified. But there are a whole lot of other things that don't matter as much as that. And what Paul is saying is these little rules that have been set up in order to give you this idea of spirituality, none of those things are important. The rules tell us that we should exhibit this false humility, that we should separate our body from our mind. Um, the rules tell us that there is greater spirituality to be found in freedom. So explore any kind of bodily urge you have, because greater freedom comes from that. The rules tell us that unless you are my gender, my race, my status... There is some kind of special knowledge that I have that means that we can't communicate or engage. The rules tell me that I do not need to be guided or limited by Christ, the Bible, or His church, but I can develop my own idea about what following Jesus is like. Well, what truly qualifies us then? You know, Nick, I've been around church for a while. Last week, you know, Sean gave this example of his mom being in a church, not a cult, and actually having to deal with, with some of these legalisms. Well, one of the things is, is finding a church that preaches the Word of God. The other thing is understanding what the Word of God says for yourself. And so Paul tells us in Colossians 1 what actually qualifies us. Colossians 1 verse 12 says this, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness. He has transferred you from the kingdom to the kingdom of the son of his love or his beloved son. In him, you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It is about Jesus. It is about what he's done. It is about what he's completed. It is about what he continues to do through his spirit in your life, as you submit to connection to the body, to the head. As you understand that there are certain rules that are critical and will disqualify you, but there are other rules that are not. We cannot be qualified or disqualified by our fellow player or by our opponent. So the Lakers are playing right now, right? When, uh, when LeBron goes up for layup and he misses it, what does he do? He complains, right? Who does he complain to? He complains to the ref. Does he complain to the person who hacked him? No? Well, okay. Does that help? No, he complains to the ref. The only person that has the power to do anything is the referee, the umpire. And Jesus is the umpire. And Paul tells us, we give thanks to the Father. Why? He has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. I don't complain to people around me. I don't, I don't even complain to my opponents. I say, God, I need your wisdom to be able to work through this. How do I do that? Can we be a people that enjoy our bodies but are not ruled by them? Can we be a people that are truthfully loving and not proud? Can we be a people that are supernatural but submitted and live lives connected Can we be a people that recognize the power of God comes from connection? Can we be a people that recognize our freedom comes from connection? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you that the power of your word um, does not come in its eloquence, but in its innate value because it is your word. I want to thank you that it is the power of life and death. I want to thank you that all we need to be qualified by you is to accept that you are the one that has delivered us from the domain of darkness, that you are the one, Jesus, that has transferred us into the kingdom of the beloved Son of God. And that because of your bloodshed, we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. God, I want to pray that you would give us the wisdom to be able to identify um, these rules that can disqualify us. And these silly little things that we shouldn't pay any kind of attention to. God, I want to pray that in the midst of this evening, there would be one thing that your spirit whispers to each person here. I have qualified you. You can become a partaker of light. God, I want to pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know that for sure, I want to pray right now, Spirit of God, as you hovered over the void of what was this earth, that you would hover over their souls and breathe life into them. God, I want to pray that as we continue to worship with communion, that you would seal this word in Jesus' name.